We have been on a rather long on-ramp, which eventually is going to lead to a highway of 2 Samuel. And today is our final review of 1 Samuel to, to help us understand the story because it, it moves right into 2 Samuel. And we're talking about the promise of David becoming king. And David was given this great promise, but he goes from this promise of being a king to to living in a cave. So he kind of has one of these high moments of this promise, and it all looks up and to the right for David, and then it comes crashing down, and he lives in a cave, and then in 2 Samuel, he becomes the king. And Psalm 57, which is the psalm that David just, or Jeremy just read, is a song or a psalm that David wrote while he's living in a cave. You probably see that in the little subscript right under Psalm 57. It says, while, while he was living in a cave. So this is the, the emotional uh, content of David's soul while he's in this particular place. And we're going to reach that eventually in this sermon. My question for us this morning to think about is, what do you do or what do you say to people who decide to follow Jesus? What do you say to people who decide to follow Jesus and immediately their life gets more difficult? So I've, I've felt some kind of pull towards the Lord. I, I've met some people. I've gone to a church. However, he's drawn himself to you and you feel like, Oh, this is right. I'm stepping out of darkness in, into the wonderful light. I'm going from, from death to life. I'm going from darkness to light. Whatever that is, and you feel that, and you meet Jesus, but almost no sooner do you meet him, it feels like your life just kind of goes off a cliff. What do you say to those people? What do you say to people who are following after Jesus and whose life doesn't turn out like you thought it would. Maybe it didn't sort of go off a cliff, but I had dreams, I had hope, I, hopes, I had aspirations of, about my life, the way God would supply for me a, a, a certain job, a certain career, a, a certain spouse, a certain child, a, whatever that is, certain health, whatever it is you sort of normally and naturally had in your head as I think this is the way it's going to work out for me. And, and it just doesn't happen like you thought it would happen. What do you do when that happens to you? What do you say to people who find themselves in that position? That's the question we're trying to, to get at this morning. I think we can find some answers here in, second, in 1 Samuel and also in, in Psalm 57. In, in chapter 16, Samuel is promised to be king. In chapter 22, he's running for his life and he's living in a cave. He goes from king to cave. And Sarah Groves, a Christian artist, writes a line about living in a cave. And she says this, using Psalm 57, Speak to me, speak to me in my cave of Abdullam, which is the name of this area this, that David's hiding in. Reach to me, reach to me. No one cares for my soul. And I believe this quote is on the front of your bulletin. I thought I saw your kingdom, but it's not going to happen like I thought it would happen. Most of us have been in that situation. I thought I saw something, 
I was pursuing something, but now in between what I thought in the end, I found out it's not going to happen like I thought it would happen. When, you're, when your soul gets pulled into that cave, when you thought what was going to happen is not going to happen, how do you press on? So let's do a little background here. Chapter 16, David is uh, anointed to be the king by the great prophet Samuel. These books are named after. He's 16 years old. And afterwards, he gets sort of anointed. If you remember, Samuel goes to Bethlehem, anoints this young man to be king, and he's the shepherd. And probably he just goes right back out to being a shepherd for some period of time. We don't know how long until the next time we see him is David and Goliath, but he's a shepherd. And, and imagine he's spending so much time in the wilderness all by himself. And what would a 16-year-old young man think about what it would be to be king? I mean, you're out there in the wilderness and you think, I'm going to be king. I'm going to have a, a great palace. I'm going to have all this power. I'm going to Just think about the dreams a 16-year-old would have about that. I, I doubt at any point he thought, for 10 years I'll live in a cave. That, that probably never crossed his mind that that would be part of the trajectory. And so in chapter 17, David comes onto the scene the first time that we hear him actually speak. It's this great chapter where he kills Goliath. His, he, he's immediately welcome into Saul's family. He's, Saul is the current king, and David sits at his table, and David does the work of a son of, a, of, of Saul. And David grows as a skilled leader, but as David's skill grows, Saul's jealousy grows. And pretty soon, David finds himself running away. He's on the run. And from chapter 21 to the end of the book, which is 10 chapters, David's a fugitive. He lives in a cave. 10 years. That's 10-year span. So we don't know, is it 20 to 30? Is it 25 to 35? We're not quite sure that time. But for these 10 years, he goes from dreams of being a king to a decade of disappointment. How do you live through a decade of disappointment? Let's look at Second Sam or First Samuel chapter twenty-two and just just kind of get a feel for this. David departed. This is chapter First Samuel chapter twenty-two, verse one. David departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. And when his brothers and his father's house heard of it, they went down to him there, and everyone who was there was in distress, and everyone who was there was in debt, and everyone who was there was bitter in soul. All these types of people gathered to them, and he became the captain. He, he became their little king over this group. And there were about 400 men at that point with David. David's first palace is a cave. His first followers, if you're old enough to know the the Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer story, the little comic story. You remember he ends up on the home of Misfit Toys, the island of Misfit Toys, you know, the train that's got the square wheels and all that stuff. This is what David gets. He gets the, the army of Misfit Toys. I mean, how would you like this to be the first congregation you lead, the, the first group of, of your army? Let's just see, describe them. Uh, they were in distress, they were in debt, and they were bitter of soul. Oh, wow, what a wonderful gathering of people here. 
This is going to be my, the first start. So, so I'm in a cave, and these are the kinds of people that I get to lead. I think we can say for David, it's not going to happen like he thought it would happen. Actually, it gets worse for David. Chapter 27, turn with me a few chapters over. For some number of years, he's been running away from Saul and avoiding Saul. Then David said in his heart, chapter 27, verse 1, Now I shall perish one day by the hand of Saul. This is, this is the low point for David. There is nothing better for me than that I should escape. Where, is it, where would David escape to? The land of the Philistines. Oh, man. Goliath was a Philistine. The Philistines are, are the dark side. So David is going to the dark side. David's moving his men over into enemy territory. Of all the possible places he could have chosen. Imagine David coming into the city where Goliath was well known. Hey, yeah, I killed that guy. I mean, he's not going to win the popularity contest. I mean, it, you think living in a cave is bad. What if you live in, in a cave with your enemies? That's basically what's happening here. It's getting worse and worse for David. And so I'm trying to answer the question, how do you press on for an entire decade? See, some of us has been in a place where we say, it's not going to happen like I thought it would happen. And you kind of drop down a level, and you take a deep breath, and you say, okay, I'm adjusting expectations, and you say, okay, I'm going to live on this plane, but then it drops down another level. How do you, how do you deal with that? You've, you've made some initial adjustments, but now it's, it's actually worse than you thought it was going to be, and you'd already adjusted your expectations down. That's, that's where David is, and I want to answer that question, how do you press on? With these three answers, there's obviously many we could provide. One, people. How do you press on? You have to have people around you. Two, you have to trust in God's providence, that he's at work even when you don't see him at work. And number three, you have to be able to praise. People, providence, and praise. So let's look at those in turn. People. It's amazing when you read through 1 Samuel how many different kinds of people David intersects. Some people who, who are big people, they, they make a, a big imprint on David. And sometimes just one tiny little encounter with somebody, like a rudder that quickly turns a whole ship. And they kind of come in, make a turn, and then they, you don't hear from them again. All kinds of people are supplying help during this dark decade of disappointment for David, he's, he's in need. He requires a constant supply during this decade of people. And I just want to remind you of some of the people. Uh, two times, David gets significant help from priests, from people inside the church, the leader of the church, the people of the church. In chapter 1, as he just has his first uh, running away from Saul, he runs into the priest Ahimelech. And Ahimelech takes a big, big risk in helping David. It actually cost Ahimelech his life. He didn't know it at this point, but he took a big risk to, to help David. At a crucial moment, 
Somebody from the church stepped into a life of somebody on the run and said, hey, I know you have physical needs. I know you have emotional needs. I know you have spiritual needs. And I'm going to step in. You've shown up. You've come hurting. You've come needy. And, and maybe I don't know you that well, but I'm, I'm willing to, to take the initiative. I'm willing to step in and say, hey, how can I help you in this particular time? A few years later, chapter 23, David comes again to the priest. And this guy's name is Abiathar. And he happens to be the son of the first priest that he's gone to. It's very interesting. And this time David comes to the priest and he needs direction. He's specifically looking for direction. I'm not sure which way to go. And David doesn't know what to do. So at another crucial moment, somebody in the church just steps in and says, I hear your story. This is the way you should go. So you have two different events here where these two priests walk into David's life and say, I'm going to give you physical needs. I'm going to provide for your physical needs. I'm going to provide for your emotional needs. I'm going to provide for your spiritual needs. And then another time, hey, you don't know which way to go. And I can hear and I can help you say, hey, go this way. And, of course, you can understand the application here. All of us are designed for a community. Nobody can make it on their own. And not every Sunday, but sometimes during your life, you're going to be in a cave. And my hope is that this is one of the main places you'd find help. It might be from me, it might be from an elder like Chuck or Jeremy, it might be from somebody sitting next to you, but somewhere you walk in and say, hey, I come and I need physical help, I need emotional help, I need spiritual support, I need direction, I feel like I don't know where I'm going and I need a, a voice like a lighthouse to, to cut through all the fog and say, "Go, this is the way, go this way. And my hope is that we continue to be part of that in your life as you walk through a cave So priests, secondly, we have friends. Now, I could do a whole sermon here, but I've already done a whole sermon on David and Jonathan. Crucial moment in chapter 23, David's in this cave, and Jonathan, his best friend, finds him, goes and finds him. Such a great, great picture. I know my friend is in trouble, and I'm going to go find him. And it says he's going to strengthen David's hand. I just love that. David's hand's falling off the rope. He can't hold on anymore. So he has a friend who's strong enough to hold on for two people. And I hope you have a friend like that and you are a friend like that. That you have somebody that you can, you know him well enough that you can say, I just sense they're in trouble. I haven't heard from them or just the last time I talked to them or something. And you don't just send a text. You send yourself. You show up unannounced. And you say, I'm here. I've got enough strength to hold on to your hand and for me to hold on for myself. And I'm going to hold on for both of us until you can hold on for yourself. What a friend. What a friend. I know I've told you the story, but probably 10 years ago now, I was in a really dark, I was in a cave. And my friend, black uh, pastor, Rob Campbell, who most of you know, he'll be here for the conference this weekend. He could just tell something's different about Paul. This big black man comes into my office unannounced. 
I, I don't think Sarah or Carly were going to stop him. Just, hey, I'm walking in. And I, I don't know where you are, but it doesn't sound like you're in a good place. And just for 20 minutes, just for 20 minutes, he just breathed truth into my soul. And then we walked out. And as I let him out the door, I thought, wow, what a friend, what a friend. Didn't call, didn't text, just I'm showing up unannounced. And you're going to need people like that. And you're also going to have to be a person like that. You're going to have to think to yourself, am I in tune enough with some of my friendships to know where they are? And can I walk in and can I strengthen their hands? Well, I'll start another sermon here if I don't move on. So you've got to have people in the church priest. You got to have family or friends. You got to have a family. One of the things I like about chapter 22, this uh, very opening part of David's leadership, is he's in this cave in verse 1, chapter 22, and when his brothers and all of his father's house heard it, they went down to him there. David had seven older brothers. You remember that? I don't know what it would be like, but if you're the youngest of eight and you're in trouble and your dad and seven older brothers walk in, oh, man, just feel that. They all walked into my cave. I mean, not just just your family, which is big, but eight men walk in and say, Hey, we're going to take a position around you. What a gift. What a tremendous gift. And I hope you have a family like that. I hope you're creating a family like that. I hope you take a role in your family like that to say, hey, I know it's tough and maybe even we didn't get along at certain points, but when I see you in this cave, I'm going to roll in. And for whatever length of time and whatever I can provide at this point, I'm going to, for this moment, I'm going to be part of a shield around you. What, what a great encouragement to have this for, for this 10 years. What a beautiful picture. So I hope you have a church. I hope you have friends. I hope you have family like this, people who take risks for you, who roll into your life at dark times. Let me mention one, one more person. Second favorite person in First Samuel, a woman named Abigail. And she plays the role of a wise counselor at just a critical moment. There's one whole chapter, chapter 25, you can read about her later. And David was in a really difficult place. And she, she comes in just at the right moment. And like I said, like a rudder, she just turns and the whole ship goes a different way. And then the trajectory of David is totally different. I wonder if you've ever been so frustrated or so tired, you're just about ready to do or say something really stupid. Does this resonate with anybody in here? You're so frustrated. You're so tired. You're just about ready to say or do something like really stupid. But you're so frustrated and tired, you can't actually see how stupid it really is. And so somebody else has to come in at that moment and say, please don't do that. 
So David encounters a man named Nabal, or Nabal. I'm not quite sure which way you pronounce it. His name in Hebrew means fool. So he's a fool. So David encounters a fool, and Nabal does something foolish. And what does David do? He becomes foolish. Ever done that? Oh, you want to see foolishness? I'll give you foolishness. This is not a great plan. But David, he condescends, and he's just about ready to do something foolish. He's got all of his 400 soldiers marching in. He's going to wipe out Nabal. And Abigail comes in, a little rudder. Hey, this isn't wise, David. This could affect the rest of your life if you do this foolish thing. Please don't do this. Go a different way. And this one, one little woman stands in front of David and 400 soldiers. And her little wise counsel is taken. And it shifts the whole direction of David's life. That's going to happen to you at some point. You've gotten tired. Everybody gets tired when they're living in a cave. I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. I've been in this for a whole decade now. I mean, when is God going to come through? And now I'm going to take control, and I'm going to do something really stupid. This is going to happen to you. Many of you are going, yes, I've, I've already been there, Paul. I've got the badge for this. And at that point, you need a counselor. You need somebody who just comes in, and they just play this tiny little role to say, Oh, just hear me. I'm not emotionally connected to your situation. I just, I see what's going on and say, just don't go that way. Go this way. So please hear that counsel. Please be wise enough to, to say, okay, God somehow sent a real counselor or a person or a friend. Somehow they're intersecting me when I'm all charged up. And just take a step back just to try to listen and say, okay, maybe, maybe they got something here. Most of us have plenty of stories that we can remember that we can say, man, I'm so glad I didn't do that. I'm so glad I decided not to send that email. Everyone here is going to need people. There's no way you get through the cave without people. Secondly, God's providence while you're living in this cave, you really have to have God's providence really nailed down in your mind. And we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. One definition for providence is the wonderful, strange, mysterious, unguessable way the Lord has of ruling the world. It's wonderful, it's strange, and I love the, the definition. It's unguessable, that's providence. You can't quite see it. It works out in ways you can't see or... I mentioned this, Corey Ten Boom, who spent over a year in a German concentration camp, in a more poetic way, she says this, My life is but a weaving between my God and me. I cannot choose the colors. I don't get to choose the colors. He weaves steadily. Not till the loom is silent and the shuttle ceases to fly will God unroll the canvas and reveal the reasons why. He's weaving. And you have questions and they're unguessable weavings, but one day he's going to unroll the canvas and you're going to say, I don't have questions anymore. 
And you think you're going to get to heaven and have questions for God? <laughs> That's not going to happen. He's going to unroll the canvas and you're saying, I'm sorry, I even question you. That's what's going to happen. That's exactly what happened with Job. Remember, God shows up and he goes, I'm sorry, I even ask a question. I'm not bright enough to even ask an important question. You're going to unroll this canvas and I'm just going to stand back and say, glory to God. I'm not going to have any questions. And you've got to trust that God is weaving this storyline your, through your life even when you can't see it. And let me just mention one, one way. Let's look at chapter 22, verse 3 and 4. And David went from there to Mespeth of Moab. So David is in this cave of Adullam, and he goes to Moab. Now, Moab is the country that's next to Israel. So you think of Israel like a rectangle, and it's got the River Jordan, and on the next side of the river is this uh, country called Moab. This is the enemy's of Israel. And he said to the king of Moab, Please let my father and mother stay with you till I know what God will do for me. So David is taking his parents to Moab. Again, he's going back into enemy territory, and he's hoping the king of Moab is actually going to protect his parents. And when he left them with the king of Moab, they stayed with him all the time that David was in this stronghold. So David safely deposits his parents who can't live in a cave for 10 years with Moab. So I'm asking myself this question. Why would David think he could leave his parents in enemy territory in Moab? And I would say God's providence Some of you know the story. 200 years prior to this event, a young woman, a Moabite, she lives in Moab. Her husband dies. So she's a young lady. She's a widow. She totally lives in poverty. She has a mother-in-law who lives in poverty. But this mother-in-law happens to be Jewish. And she says, look, we're not going to go anywhere in Moab. So, honey, you can stay here. You live in Moab. You're from Moab. I'm going back to Israel. Maybe I can find somebody who can help me. And this young woman, who, who knows, 18, 20, 22, she says, hey, I'm going to go with you. And wherever your God takes you, I'm going to go with that person. And so this young woman, whose name is Ruth, the story right before 1 Samuel. She crosses over. She is a Moabite. She eventually marries an Israelite man named Boaz. And Ruth and Boaz have a grandson. They have a son, Obed. And then that man has a son whose name is Jesse. And Jesse has a son named David. Now, I want you to just turn back because this is a little verse you'd read right by. I don't want you to read by it anymore. I think you want to, I think you want to say, look at this diamond. Ruth chapter 4, it's the very end of Ruth, so just go back to the beginning of 1 Samuel. It's just a few pages. Chapter 4, the last verse, Obed fathered Jesse and Jesse fathered David. It's like a tune. It's like a, 
it's like I've said, the Bible is like one great sheet of music. And right here at the end of Ruth, Obed father Jesse and Jesse father David is like a, a flute that you hear. And you're going to hear it again right here in chapter 22 when David goes back. And now 200 years later, he's going back to Moab because he's part Moabite, David is. His parents are part Moabite. So he knows he's going to find favor from the Moabites. So 200 years prior to David's desperate moment, another woman's having a desperate moment. And her faithfulness, she could have never possibly seen this, but her trust in the Lord that she doesn't really get to see much fruit of, 200 years later, her faithfulness pays off for the king. Isn't that incredible? Glory, hallelujah, I want to say. This is so beautiful that you, you, you might just have to be faithful when it's not going to happen like you thought it was going to happen. But the king, now the king of kings is going to be glorified by your faithfulness. You have no idea how your small little moment that you think is a nothing kind of moment turns out to be the moment that God marries together with his providence to help people that you can't even possibly know right now. That's how God works. And you've got to have that down in your bones when you're in a cave. That that is the way God works. And it may be unguessable to me right now, but it's not unguessable to God. So that's how you press on. So let's all say amen. Amen. Third thing, we press on because we have people. We press on because we have God's providence. And finally, we press on by praise. When David's down, he writes a song. David's a songwriter. He wrote half of the psalms that we have. And I would say, David would say, you don't sail through dark times. You sing through dark times. How you, how you make your way through dark times, you've got to have a song in your soul. And so we got a whole sermon here that we can't possibly unpack, Psalm 57, which Jeremy read. The, let's just notice three things. First of all, he cries, hum, he cries humbly. Very first thing, be merciful. Now what could have David said right at that moment? What might you have said at that moment? Think about it. God's promised you you're going to be king. Now you're living in a cave. And what might you say right at that moment? God, I deserve better. That might have been the first thing out of my mouth. But what does David say? I'm just asking for mercy. I'm not coming here making demands. My thoughts, as Chuck so well said, are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. I'm not coming here making demands. I'm just coming and saying, I need mercy. Very first step. Secondly, I sing hopefully. Notice it in verse 2. I cry out to the God most high, to God who he fulfills his purposes for me. This word means he completes, he finishes. 
So, so David isn't giving himself a, a pep talk. He's giving himself a truth talk. He's pushing the truth down into his soul. It's like he's saying, God, I'm crying out. I can't understand what you're doing, but I do know this. You're going to finish what you started. Whatever you started in me, you're going to bring to a finish. You're going to fulfill. You're going to complete. And even though I can't see that you're involved in my current circumstances, I trust that you're going to bring me to the finish line. So when you get into a cave, don't think God has forgotten. He is going to fulfill. He is going to finish his purpose for you. And finally, the very end of the song, verses 8 and 9. Awake, 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 O harp and lyre. This is the way of David saying, hey, let's turn it up a few notches. I mean, he's kind of singing solemnly, and he gets to verse 8. Wah! He turns it up. You ever been, been in this place where you're in your car, you've got your headphones on, and your favorite song comes on, or maybe just your favorite line in the song comes on? What do you do? Oh, you turn it up. It almost hurts your ears you turn it up so loud. That's how I do it. Because I, what I want it to do is I want it to get it all the way down in my soul. That's what a song does. You turn it up to say, yeah, I need that all the way down. And so David's turning it up. I will, I will praise. I'm going to give thanks to God. Notice, I'm going to give thanks to God among the people, among the people who are living in this cave so that they see David isn't relying just on David. David isn't relying just on them. David's relying on the Lord. His praise is a way to capture all these other people to say, that's right, that's right. <clears throat> so David has a, has a song. A song has a message to his soul. His song has a message to his, his soldiers. I wonder how many times people have come here on a Sunday and their soul is in a cave. And just a song is what you remember from the whole service. Maybe a phrase, maybe a chorus, and you just go out singing that song, and it comes back to you on Tuesday or Thursday, and it works its way down. Songs, when you're in a dark place, keep you moving forward. Now let me conclude here as we come to the communion table. At the cross, I think we could say, Jesus is in a cave, a cave of darkness that you and I couldn't really understand. Jesus is the son of David, and Jesus on the cross, what does he do? He sings a song. He sings a song. He sings a song written a thousand years before by David. This is amazing. This isn't just 200 years ago, Ruth to David. This is a thousand years apart. David's in a cave. He writes a song of distress. He has no idea that his song is going to be sung by the king of kings in his cave. Psalm 22. Now, we don't get to hear the whole, whole song because Jesus doesn't have the breath to sing the whole song. 
So he just cries out a few words of the song to let you know this is the song as he's hanging there. This is the song that's getting him through his cave. Psalm 22, let me read a few lines. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now that's all we get in the Gospels, right? But you have to know this is the song Jesus is singing in his soul. He's not just saying these words like, hey, that's it. No, he's singing a song, but he can't get it out because he doesn't have enough breath. Why are you so far from saving me? Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the praise of Israel. In you our fathers put their trust. They trusted in you, and you delivered them. They cried out, and you, were, and you saved. In you they trusted, and they were not disappointed. There will be descendants who serve him. There will be a generation that will be told about the Lord. They will tell people yet to be born about his righteousness, that God has finished it. And they will tell people what God has done. What a great song. Jesus is hanging, and when he says, it is finished, this is one of the lines from Psalm 22, that God is going to fulfill his purposes So for you, I don't know what portion has been most helpful. And maybe you're just taking notes to say, hey, the next time I get in a cave, I need to remember this. Or my friend's in a cave. But some of us are in a cave. And you're going to need people around you to help you. You're going to need to have God's providence locked down in your soul. The small little things happening right now could matter 200, 1,000 years from now. You couldn't possibly imagine. Your faithfulness right now could matter. And you're going to have to have a song that you can sing to your soul to remind yourself of the truth. And so Jesus understood that we're, we're easily led astray in our minds. We're easily led astray by the lies of the world. And so he says, hey, when you get together, remember, remember what I've done. So you don't forget. Continue to trust Jesus, the friend, the great friend of sinners. Let's pray. Lord, as we come to this table and we take these very common elements, my prayer is that you would take these and minister to every soul here. To, for them to remember that you, you gave your life, your body, your blood for the sake of your children. The people that are here now before you, I pray that you would use it for divine purposes, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Musical play, the ushers will help you. If you've trusted your life to Christ, we welcome you to come forward. If you haven't, just remain seated and think about what, what you've invested in and And how is it going to help you in the end? You come when you're ready.